Hello and welcome back to Doctor Informed. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 3. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection. Doctor Informed is primarily for those doctors working in hospitals, taking you beyond medical knowledge and talking about all those things that you need to know to be a good doctor, but which don't necessarily involve medicine. I'm Clara Monroe, a General Surgical Registrar in the northeast of England. I also work as a freelance clinical editor at the BMJ and was previously Editorial Registrar. In our new season of Doctor Informed, we will be discussing topics that are often perceived as taboo or which are not often talked about. And today we're talking about sustainability in healthcare. I'm so glad to be able to talk about this because it's something I think a lot about when I see huge bags of non-recyclable waste being thrown away uh, almost every day. Um, With an increase in natural disasters, evidence of climate change all around us, how can we create more sustainable practice at work when there are already so many demands placed upon us? Who do we go to? How do we do it? I'm really glad to be joined today by our panel. I've got Flo, Emily and Lee with me today. They're all hospital doctors and they all have an interest in sustainability. So I think they're going to be perfect for today's episode. Flo, would you like to start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Hi, yeah. So I'm Flo. I'm a medical registrar. I'm based in London, but I've currently taken a year out of clinical practice and uh, to be one of the chief sustainability officers, clinical fellows. It's a real mouthful. Um, I'm based (laughs) at the BMJ. Thank you so much for joining us today, Flo. And Emily, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Emily. Um, I'm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Um, I, um, I've done foundation training and then um, I've had a couple of years out and this is my second year out. And I'm doing a sustainability fellowship with the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare and my clinical work, 50% of that time is in paediatrics. Excellent. I think you're going to have some really interesting insights today. Uh, and last but certainly not least, Lee, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yep. So hi, my name's Lee. Uh, I'm uh, an anaesthetic registrar. And like Flo, I've also taken a year out of clinical practice to be one of the chief sustainability officers clinical fellows. I managed to do that last time I promoted myself to the chief sustainability officer in quite a large meeting. So <laughs> I think I've done a better job this time around. Um, and uh, I'm based with uh, NICE this year. So um, trying to do lots of work kind of across the two organisations. Fantastic. Uh, well, um, I can't wait to talk to you all today. Those who listened to our first few episodes in our new series will know that we start by talking about what's been discussed on the ward and going through some of the things that have been floating around everybody's minds in the last few weeks. Anyone seen anything or heard anything interesting that they would like to talk about this week? Yeah, so this was actually from the Royal College of Child, this is also a mouthful, RCPCH, I'm just going to say that, Paediatric and Child Health. Um, They do a really good email newsletter every week where they do a press roundup. Um, and it's I never normally read press roundups but I started reading it and it's really interesting and they had linked to an article highlighting the fact that Liz Truss um, is floating has not confirmed but is floating plans to scrap Boris Johnson's anti-junk food regulations which were brought in in May so I think there was a proposal in May to basically um ban multi-buy deals for junk food so that would be buy one get one free deals in foods that are high in fat salt and sugar um 
and that they were planning on banning that to try and reduce child obesity and reduce general obesity but um the argument and i think it was already delayed for the same argument is um that's being made is that the cost of living crisis is so bad that we shouldn't be reduce we shouldn't be stopping supermarkets from reducing the price of food because it's going to have a bad impact on people not being able to afford food and i have a lot of thoughts about this but i'd be really interested to hear what everyone else on this <laughs> podcast's initial kind of reaction to that is yeah so I had a, a few thoughts on it which I, I'm interested to hear what you're thinking as well I mean a lot there's a couple of things in there one is that it's not just the buy one get one free there's loads of other regulation in that that they were planning on on delaying or um yeah delaying I think it is at the moment um and one of them is like the advertising ban so you know there is a plan to to have a, a ban on advertising of junk food before 9 p.m and and on social media the same um which doesn't fit in with the cost of living crisis you know banning advertising is got going to make no difference to the price of food it is just going to make a difference to how much people eat and mm-hmm. and there's also really good evidence that it works like the the tfl have um so transport london have done a ban on um junk food advertising and there's been some research done on the impact of it and if you just look at people's supermarket shopping alone not even you know how much they're spending in you know people are going to kfc or wherever mcdonald's um you know you you can see a thousand calories less uh, per week in terms of buying unhealthy food so it's regulation that we know is going to make people healthier you know there's really good evidence um for that so the arguments around the cost of living it's a bit more tricky isn't it but uh why we should be accepting stuff that we know is going to make people more unhealthy and and then this Mm. is all being brought in on on the advice of public health experts. I understand that, you know, you should be reducing the price of food, but we know that in areas with higher levels of social deprivation that obesity levels are higher. So if we're saying everyone is poorer at the moment and the poor are going to be even poorer, why is that a reason to reduce these measures? Because surely by default you're then increasing levels of obesity lee what do you think about it um i mean yeah i mean pretty much agree with um what's what's been brought up so far uh i guess you know something else to kind of add to it is that there's a lot of um parallels here between this and uh, sort of sustainability related topics which is this idea that you can introduce something in the short term that may be actually you know provably worse in the long term for people but because Mm. it's either cheaper or easier to do that that becomes the default position Uh, and this very much is obviously one of those things where you know cost of living and health inequality is is quite a complex issue there's lots of things that play into it Um, but something like this is obviously going to make public health worse and is obviously going to increase health inequalities for something very short term, like being able to buy what we know is more unhealthy food cheaper. You know, it's not going to necessarily help with nutrition. It's not necessarily going to help with um, even, I mean, I don't know, calories, I guess. But like, you know, it's not it's not actually going to contribute to a proper balanced diet. Then what is the actual benefit of it? That's so fascinating. I love that you've drawn that parallel with sustainability as well. Emily, I can see you <laughs> itching to share your thoughts. Please do. So, well, just to add to that, because what you've mentioned about um, malnutrition, another another update from the RCPCH email. 
um, which is providing me with all the information I need at the moment. Um, there's been reports that in Scotland in the past year, the number of attendances for child malnutrition, and that's attendances in acute hospitals, has doubled in some areas. So this is in Glasgow and Clyde, went from 572 to 1,000 admissions in a year. And at the same time, the most recent increase in child obesity is the biggest increase since they started measuring child obesity in 2006 to 7. Um, and it's they now think about a quarter of 11-year-olds are obese, which is just shocking. Um, and I think mm. it, it kind of runs along with what you're saying, is that the government is making this argument that we should allow people access to more junk food because of the cost of living. But at the same time, that's not really solving any problems at all because we've got increasing obesity at the same time as increasing malnutrition. So clearly nothing is happening in the right direction at the moment. And I think you're totally right. I mean, good nutrition and, um, you know, reducing obesity levels is a huge part of sustainable child health care. So it's really concerning and very representative of the government's attitude to policy that they're just making these short term policy decisions um, that we know are not going to help in the long term. Unfortunately, I think it, they've been having an excuse to make short-term decisions since 2011 <laughs> mm. or since 2009, probably, when the financial crisis happened. And it's just, you know, it's taking its toll. So, yeah, it made me angry. I think you can probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that idea of, like, short-termism in government policy is a really interesting one. And I think, you know... We're obviously talking about sustainability today, and I think Lee's linked them really nicely there. My question with this is, what is the reason that the government wants to kick this can down the road in terms of introducing this policy? Like, what what's in it for them? That's what I can't really work out when I'm when I'm when I'm reading this. Well, I'm worried about the power that junk food brands have, but I don't have mm. any proof of that. I'm just worried that there might be other forces in play in this decision making. But who knows? Maybe it's a populist policy. Maybe they think it will be popular. I don't know. It looks like Flo's got some thoughts. There's another parallel there with, with sustainability, which we'll get onto, you know, which is about kind of prevention, isn't it? Like um, there's a, a discourse around, you know, when we talk about health and, you know, are people are, are getting unhealthier? We need to put more money in the NHS. And I'm not against the NHS having more money, mm. but if at the same time we're, we're not doing things to make people, you know, much better if we can prevent people getting ill in the first place and so we mm. don't have to spend so much money in the NHS you know, from all different perspectives. So uh, I think sometimes that, that gets a little bit lost is health doesn't just come from healthcare. Mm. You know, so much more of, of your health comes from, from stuff that happens before you go anywhere near any healthcare services. Into the other topic that um, obviously has been talked about a lot this this week I'm sure everybody um, has had a conversation about this and that was the yesterday which was the 6th of October uh, nurses are being balloted on strike action um, so 300,000 nurses um, have been given the opportunity to vote on whether they want to take strike action and that's from the Royal College of Nursing uh, and that's a UK-wide ballot and that's the first ballot in their 106 year history Obviously, the sort of headline tabloid front page thing is that this is about pay. But actually, my initial thoughts are about this. This is so much more than just about pay. What are everyone else's thoughts on strike action 
um, with regards is I think particularly looking at, at nursing staff. Yeah, no, it's been a, a, this is the third time, isn't it, that, that strike actions come up in, in this kind of topical bit before yeah. these podcasts. Um, so it's Every week. <laughs> a recurring theme. And yeah, I agree. I think it is so much more than, than about pay if it's sort of looking at um, a lot of the time on Twitter, looking at, at different, you know, nurses coming out in support of this. And, and the real recurring theme is, is it's about the conditions. Yes, it's about pay, but it's also really related to massive shortages in, in the workforce and the implications that has for patient care and for um you know what it's like to, to do a shift as a nurse because mm. if you know you're continually understaffed how hard that is how and, and you know it's, I'm sure it's something we've all seen nurses sort of staying you know you come in in the morning and the, the nurses are there from from their night shift for you know hours after they should be going home and going to sleep because they're, they're still finishing off stuff because you know they've been short on that shift and you know the, the stress that puts under them um really i mean the two are tied together i guess isn't it if um you know if you don't have pay conditions that, that match people's experience then then that is not going to help all the workforce issues mm, mm. emily have people been talking about it in pediatrics uh, to be fair, I've actually not really been clinical for the last couple of weeks, so I've not heard <laughs> conversations being had about this. I've just come back today. But um, I, I was just thinking while you were talking about this, about what we were talking about before and how actually it's all part of a kind of neoliberal machine, the idea that we shouldn't strike. I think you're asking an ethical question about whether healthcare professionals should be allowed to strike or not. And it is a really difficult one because we obviously all care about our patients. But I think in the current context, we also have a duty of care to raise awareness of the issues that are happening with the workforce, because in the long run, that does affect patients too. And if that means that people aren't able to get to give the patient care that they're employed to do because they're striking, maybe that is what it takes. I don't know. I think nurses and doctors are paid really poorly in this country or all, all NHS workers are paid really poorly and there might be something that has to be done to push for something different and other professions do strike and I think that trade unions are really important in a kind of fair system and that doesn't mm. exclude healthcare professionals just because we have a duty of care it's a really difficult one I think it's difficult for everyone to make those decisions because you don't want to be away from a ward that's already completely stretched because you feel guilty but I feel that it's also a job it's not just a vocation it is also a mm. job where we're earning money to care for our dependents and ourselves and also we are allowed to have working conditions that reflect that you know it doesn't just because it's a vocation doesn't mean you can't have that so mm. yeah I guess the other part of my question was you know people keep saying oh it's the first time it's happened in 106 years why now, I guess, is the question. And why, you know, what has happened within the system to catalyze this sort of series of reactions that have led to things getting this bad, that nurses feel like they have to strike and doctors feel like they have to strike? I don't know if you have any thoughts about it, Lee. I mean, I think it's very much the sense that, like, this has been going on for long enough now. Um, you know, it's not the first time that the idea of nurses striking has come up, but probably it's just too many things on top of each other. Conditions have been getting worse from a pay perspective. There's a, there's been essentially a, a what's what's the term like real cost. Essentially, it's you know it's a pay cut over years and years and years, and especially on top of 
a cost of living crisis. I mean, in the last couple of years, there's been lots and lots of these um, personal stories of of nurses who work full time but having to go to the food bank, mm. and you kind of think, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't need to live in a society where food banks exist in the first place, but especially not for somebody who works full time. You know, the the idea is that you know if you have employed, you should therefore have enough to live on based on that. Um, so it's it's just it's it's so many things all on top of each other, and then having you know, gone through what's always called like a once in a generation pandemic with the, the kinds of pressures that nobody's ever kind of thought that they'd have to work under and basically not having any time to recover from that. You know, this, mm. the, the the workforce is still as badly staffed, well, probably worse staffed now than it was before the pandemic started and having to get through all of that. And now to also have, you know, a lower pay having to struggle to, you know, buy necessities. Um, I guess it's, you know, it's not really a surprise. Um, and I guess the the other thing that I always kind of think of as well is um, I remember there was something during the junior doctor strikes that, um, that people would bring up sort of from the public, which is kind of like, you know, a uh, doctor shouldn't be striking, you know, you should be doing everything else, uh, negotiating behind the scenes to do all of this. Um, and it's odd because you kind of think, well, that's that's what has been going on and all of that has failed. So if all of that's failed, what do you propose is left to, mm. you know, the workers? And essentially strike action is kind of the only extra tool you've got left in the box, isn't it? Yeah, and there was an excellent interview with the um, head of the RCN uh, on the on Radio Four yesterday, um, and she brought up both of those points really clearly. She kind of said, first of all, all of this stuff has been going on behind the scenes, and the government say, "Hey, well, look, we've given you a three percent rise, which equates to seventy two pence a week," which I was quite shocked by. I mean, it's yeah, exactly, it's laughable, right? Like seventy two pence a week. Oh, you should be happy with that um, for the job that the nursing staff do I think it's crazy but I think also you know it's that thing that you said uh Flo about patient patient safety and we always go back to patient safety but you know I work in a really really deprived part of the northeast and on our ward at the moment um on a night shift the other night there was one nurse to look after 34 patients so they were like oh don't worry it's fine we've got another nurse there's two of them but then the second nurse doesn't know how to use the electronic prescribing system so the first nurse has to do the drug round for all 34 patients which finishes at three in the morning and she was saying yeah I'm gonna strike because this isn't fair on my patients and actually okay you know it goes back to sort of short-term long-termism Yes, there. of course, there is no way that we can say that there will be a completely safe way of striking as a healthcare professional. But in the long term, if that leads to safer patient care, that's the only way you're going to justify it. So I think it's very, very difficult. But I think it's, um, yeah, I feel like we're getting some themes out about short and long termism today. <laughs> <laughs> some themes emerging already. It's worth saying that, that there will still be nurses in A&E and, mm. you know, on the wards. They're not going to be, you know, walking out of kind of those really safety critical roles mm. um, I don't think it helps um if we, if we sort of give this image that that, that you know people are going to not have a, a nurse or resource or whatever it might be yeah I think the idea that somebody's just gonna you know down tools midnight <laughs> yeah. bang walk out like yes. would be wild uh and thankfully <laughs> definitely not what anyone's gonna do so <laughs> I think that's brilliant um 
I like that we're getting these themes out and I am so excited to get into the uh, the meat of this topic because I feel like we've really warmed ourselves up um, and getting some really interesting things coming out of this conversation already. Um, but that will be right after this message from our sponsor. Do you have a groundbreaking research idea that could transform the future of patient safety and clinician well-being? The MPS Foundation could fund it. The MPS Foundation is a global not-for-profit research initiative backed by 130 years of healthcare expertise from medical indemnity leaders, Medical Protection Society Limited. Our aim is to make the world safer for patients and clinicians in hospital and outpatient practice and dental care environments. Applications are now open. We're looking for proposals that are original, evidence-based and focused on applied research Find out more at thempsfoundation.org and apply for a grant. The MPS Foundation, transforming the future. Okay, back to the show. Sustainability, I think, can become a bit of an overused word, particularly when we talk about, you know, any aspect um, of society. But healthcare, I've kind of read things about healthcare sustainability and it's one of those words I think unfortunately has become a bit of a buzzword but obviously it's super important and no more so than to the three of you um, given your interest. I'm going to ask what do we actually mean by sustainability in healthcare? This question makes me laugh because (laughs) (laughs) so it's really funny having a title like a job title, not a title title, a job title with sustainability in the name, especially because I'm 50% clinical. So when people ask me what I'm doing, they're like, oh, are you in training? No, I'm not in training. Oh, are you an F2? No, I'm an F3. Oh, what are you doing? Are you a trust grade? Yeah, I'm doing a sustainability job. And that it's so interesting because it starts this conversation where people, you get to hear what other people think that means. <laughs> And I've had a mixture of responses. So I'm not going to tell you what I think it means, but I'm going to tell you what everyone else thinks it means. Um, So variety. Often people go, oh, yeah, so you're doing stuff on recycling. And that's the, like, end of the conversation. It's good. I guess that's, like, getting there, but it makes my heart sink a little bit because I'm like, no, 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 that's not just, that's not all of it. Like, I'm not just a waste, like, manager person. Like, obviously, that's a really important part of sustainability, but that doesn't encompass everything. Then you, I've also had people say, what's sustainability? And then I'm, I was, like, so shocked by that. I was like, are you serious? Like, what? And then you go, oh, do you mean... I can't remember what the answer was. And then, oh, everyone's got an idea then of, like, what they want to change, which then it's really exciting. Then you can get into a real a good conversation about people's ideas. And often people know about waste like whatever role they work in there's something that's really bugging them like I don't know enteral syringes being used once to aspirate NGs so that you if you aspirate someone's NG who's got a big stomach on ICU um, you might use 10 (laughs) and then chuck them all away full of the enteral fluid Um, that's something that's been kind of mentioned to me Um, I guess sustainability is a huge topic and we've already talked about short term and long term and I think a big part of it is thinking long term about everything that we do and that's not just long term about the environment that's long term about social consequences and long term about economic consequences Um, and actually to be honest those three are probably even slightly oversimplifying it because there's loads of other factors that we could bring in 
I feel like I have to make an apology now because I definitely said in my intro, like, it, <laughs> it kills me that at home I'm like diligently like washing my plastic and putting it in the recycling bin and then I'm in theatre and they're just like, everything you've touched or you've worn is going in a big bin and it's not getting recycled. So I, I think of that as sustainability because I'm like, we're just tossing all this half used stuff away, but... I, I applaud you for educating me <laughs> on the fact that you are not just about waste management. So thank you so much, Emily. Florence, what does sustainability mean to you? I, I will go. I'm, there is a sort of definition that I have half in my head that I half remember. But I will say that that's how I got into this. Like my first forays into this, I guess, as, a, as an F2 was looking at stuff in the bin and being like, why is there no recycling bin to the hospital? <laughs> and I actually went off and found the waste manager of this hospital I was working at and found out that it still amazes me they employed this it was you know sort of medium-sized district general they employed three people full-time to sort out all of their domestic wow. waste for recycling and there were these three guys who just were stood at the back of the hospital sorting stuff out and then I was like oh wow this is okay and then but then having read out it more I realized how much more sustainable health goes and I think we can we can chat about a bit more about that and how much it kind of aligns with good healthcare and so on and I think there is the definition that I sort of half remember is something about like meeting the needs of today's population without compromising the, the ability of future generations to meet their needs. So oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> Lee, I, I, um, I'm going to come to you next because when I did a quick straw poll in the coffee room the other day, I was like, what does sustainability mean to everyone? And someone just shouted from the corner. Obviously it was a sudden. Blame me on the gases. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I was like, uh, I, I need to talk to Lee about this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess in some ways they're not they're not wrong um, because uh, I don't know whether you've seen the um, NHS Net Zero um, document and it's got some, it's got lots of very useful sort of infographics, but one of them is this pie chart that kind of breaks down uh, the different bits of sort of vague groups um, of things that, that contribute towards the NHS carbon footprint. So there's things like um, medicines, medical devices, travel, things like that. And then there's a little segment. Well, it's not that little. It makes up 5%, uh, which is anaesthetic gases and inhalers. Um, so I feel like part of that is what's the, uh, the the stick that's being used by the surgeons to blame us because we get special mention. But they sort of forget that they also travel to work and they use a lot of medicines on their patients and a heck of a lot of devices when they operate <laughs> um you know so i don't i you know i try to be magnanimous i don't try to you know be, beat them back with the same stick um yeah so i think that's really interesting isn't it because i think like that perception of how much of a problem things are uh, or how little of a problem things are as sustainability people or people with an interest in sustainability I should call you what has been your most surprising thing to date that you've found out that you think ah well all doctors could change that of course so there's there's some really nice principles of sustainable healthcare that the center for sustainable healthcare developed and and in there and they're in kind of order of importance like prevention patient empowerment lean systems and then um low carbon alternatives and kind of operational resource use and so I guess like realizing how much of what I wanted to do anyway for my patients and, you know, being a good clinician and, and you know, like aligning well with that like, kind of good healthcare actually really aligned well with sustainable healthcare as well. So, you know, like I'm interested in geriatrics. Like if you think of 
sustainable healthcare applied to geriatrics, prevention is preventing people falling, um, you know, osteoporosis prevention, all of those things, which we should be doing anyway, but you know, there's an extra spur to do them um, from a sustainability point of view. Um, like patient empowerment, you know, making sure we're not giving people interventions that they don't want and you know, properly explaining to them, you know, it's all again, just it's it's really good healthcare. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, that kind of realization that 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 yeah, there is so much more be, beyond um, what goes in the bin. Not to say what goes in the bin isn't really important, and actually, if that's what we can do is something about and change, then you know, all of this counts and all of it helps. Mm, mm. How about you, Lee? Have you come across anything <laughs> that you think? Oh yeah, that's actually a really important thing that I can do to improve sustainability that maybe I wouldn't have thought about. Um, before I sort of start getting an interest in the topic so you know within anesthetics one of the the biggest sim like simplest single thing that we've been able to do is to cut down our use of uh, one specific anesthetic gas um, which is desflurane um, and that gas you know when you kind of compare the carbon footprint of it say over an hour sort of for an average patient for an average kind of surgery it was around 20 times worse than using a different gas for that same patient for that same surgery it is one of those things that was really simple and it was probably my first stepping stone into sustainability because before finding out just how bad desferane was because I, I was I think I was basically a fresh new anaesthetist at the point where all, all this information was starting to come out and I just learned about how amazing desflurane was and I was like <laughs> oh my god look what I can do I can get this patient asleep like really like really well and then they just wake up really lovely and it's amazing and then I find out how awful it is and then I'm like oh okay I'll, I'll stop using it um so that was you know that was kind of my my journey into sustainability yeah and I think everybody has got a story like because there's not that many things well there are probably more things as we become more senior, but there's not huge amounts of things that we're totally autonomous about in our practice. Most people are like, this is the syringe you use because you're at this hospital and that's what they buy. Um, but there was a story that I, I was in theatre once and I asked for a specific um, a specific suture material. And my boss at the time was like, we don't use that in this theatre with me uh, because the like the actual suture, so the actual like material bit, was made in one factory and then the needle was made in another and then they were flown to a third factory to be put together and then they were flown to whichever hospital they were going to be used in so she used to be like you know you talk about food miles as a vegetarian I do talk about food miles but she was like you don't talk about suture miles and you should and I was like yes this is so true um so I think those kind of those things are obviously really important for sort of individuals How about you, Emily? Do you have a story about how you got into sustainability or something that's really sort of been your sustainability awakening? Yeah, so, um, well, I was actually on Twitter on the bus to work this morning. I was reading through my feed, as you do. And um, I read a thread by someone called Christian Steenson Nielsen. I don't know who he is. He doesn't know who I am. Um, he came he up does on my now. feed. Give well, him a shout might, out though. I might tweet this at him. <laughs> Maybe we should chat. Um, Christian, if you're out there, let's chat. He's a postdoc at the Cambridge um, Social Decision Making Centre, which is very interesting in terms of sustainability, because I guess it is about social decisions, actually. 
Um, so I guess that's why he's tweeting about it. But he was kind of talking about um, the argument that sustainability shouldn't be about individual actions. It should be because a lot there's been a lot written in the last few years about how, um, you know, it's all about corporations. Um, it's not just about individual actions and um you know, we shouldn't be making the little man take responsibility for these changes because actually there's all these big bad guys out there um, who are, you know, chomping through oil and flying all over the world for their parties. And actually it's those kind of corporate decisions that are the worst. And um, it was something that I've thought about since I've become a sustainability fellow, actually, because I don't think as a junior doctor before now, I'd really thought that I could make a difference. And I'm really hats off to you guys who did think you could. (laughs) I'm impressed because I don't think I felt powerful enough or like influential enough. But also, I don't think I'd really twigged that actually the NHS is a corporation. I know that it's a state funded organisation, but it's also the biggest employer in Europe. And suddenly, I, I, I suddenly clicked and was like, oh my goodness, I work for a corporation. If I if I can have power in this, it's about how I can influence my employer. But it was hopeful because he basically said individuals are employees. They are they are in relationships with other individuals. They or they have influence over each other, and that actually the individual still has to be a part of this. So I guess what I'm saying is, it clicked for me to realise I'm an individual working for a big organisation, and through that role that I have in the organisation, I have a small amount of power that I can use to influence what the organization does and it's really hard (laughs) because it's such a big thing that when you try and change anything there's a thousand different voices in that decision but we have to be a voice for sustainability and there's voices for patient safety there's voices for patient choice there's voices for staff well-being there's voices for you know all sorts of other ways of looking at healthcare and I think sustainability has to be on the table in every decision that's made. I think that that is an utterly fantastic answer and you have blown my mind with how articulately (laughs) you've spoken about it. I'm sure that none of it was uh, poaching Christian's words at all. Um, (laughs) I'll tell him on Twitter. (laughs) No and I think it's such a cop-out isn't it to be like I'm just an individual I don't have any power therefore I'm going to abdicate responsibility by not not trying to change anything but I think it can feel really hard and there will be doctors who are listening to this thinking uh I've just (laughs) realized I'm just talking about my own week here like I've just finished 70 hour week I'm exhausted what can I possibly do at this point to try and dig deep and you know all of those other kind of conflicting responsibilities and needs that are placed on you and demands how can I then also give more of myself to sustainability but I think what you've articulated there is it's not about the big things it's about the little everyday chipping away things because you are part of the biggest organization in you know in biggest employer in Europe Flo you're nodding along <laughs> yeah absolutely no I really wanted to pick up on that point of um you know that it that it is like our jobs are hard like you know as you say you've just done like a ridiculous amount of on calls in a row and like it, it's really hard to to and I think Emily mentioned you know that kind of the system of the NHS and like it definitely feels especially when you're a really junior doctor that you're just like this tiny cog in a big machine and it's like how can I have any change yeah how can I influence outside of that um and I think my kind of number one tip for anyone listening to this is don't try and do it on your own because you won't like you'll you'll one you'll be you'll exhaust yourself and you know like 
That's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> until you just prove it's effective unless you like and find a team of people who, who want to work on this together. And, and that's like you will find people like uh, like that was a real shift in when I sort of went from just kind of chatting about this um, endlessly to to like beginning to take some action, you know, um, was finding other people and kind of forming a group of people. And, and there, it may be that you're, you're wherever you're working, your trust or, or GP practice or wherever it might be already has a group. But if not, start one. And, and um, that can be as, you know, just on your ward or, or kind of bigger than that as well. I find it gives me so much energy and also makes this sound a bit corny, but it makes it fun. Like, you know, I've met some of like the, the kind of network that I was involved at my last trust was like, I met some really lovely friends through that. Um, and but the other thing that it brings, I think working with other people is, is it brings hope. And, and that's a really mm. important thing to try and maintain, because once you start, I mean, we haven't really touched on here talking about the climate crisis and the impacts that that will have on health. And, and I think that's good. I think it's great that we're just talking about solutions and, and kind of where we go mm. from there. But sometimes you will engage with that a bit and um, and how you can kind of engage with that, but also still have hope that, that you can change things, I think. Lee, I want to pick up on something that you said before. Um, and I mean, you were castigating surgeons, so, uh, <laughs> but I will That's excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned um, sort of, we all drive to work, we all eat when we're at work. Um, how does that play into sustainability? It, it basically runs, I think, throughout the the whole kind of thread. Um, I guess it's it's not. So, I guess it's not a distinct kind of segment by itself. Um, it plays into kind of every bit of everything else that the NHS does. Um, you know, you yes, we all have to travel to work, and sometimes there's no other options other than to drive to work if you know you live somewhere without good public transport links or the hospital somewhere a bit far out um or you know if there's mobility issues and things like that where you know active travel like active travel active travel um or or kind of you know um public transport isn't a feasible option but then there's so many people who do have more than one option in terms of how they get to work um and i think you know the nhs is doing a really good job at the moment of kind of trying to promote Uh, both more active travel more people to take up um, you know if they have to drive electric vehicles instead of you know fuel burning vehicles and things like that Um, but I think you know alongside all of that is so much of what can be done to help sustainability in the NHS is actually sort of outside of the NHS directly Um, you know just just in terms of if you were trying to improve uh, the way that people travel to work, you know, public transport isn't something the NHS itself can control, but mm. there are other organisations, other government organisations that do have more of an impact there. Um, so it is, it's complex. Emily, what do you think? Well, just to add to what you're saying, I think NHS can't control public transport, but actually in the Newcastle hospitals, there is a free, um, there is like some kind of, engagement between the hospitals and the public transport systems because there are some buses that you can get for free and I think what like what you suggested is there probably needs to be more of that actually and the in Newcastle which is really great the um, NHS the the Newcastle Hospitals Trust 
and or Newcastle University Hospitals NHS Trust, I should say it properly, um, the council and the university have all declared a climate emergency together. And I think it's the first city in the UK where all three of the like main city institutions have done that. So I think there is probably quite a lot of potential for working together on things like transport strategy, but you're right, they probably, it, it's not normally what happens. And one of the things about sustainability in the climate crisis is that we need so much more multi-party working, like working across all those boundaries, because as you've captured so much of the, not only the carbon or not just carbon, but the environmental impact of the NHS is outside of what we see in the hospitals and things is so much more about procurement and transport and everything, but also the impacts of that come back to the NHS. So it's all connected and we shouldn't be working separately. Yeah, I just had a, an example of where that has happened, like a real kind of positive story of, um, so one of the trusts in London, their charity, so Guys at St Thomas's charity actually funded a low traffic neighbourhood in, in the area around their hospital um, in order to tackle air pollution and obesity, but obviously, you know, by kind of promoting active travel also it's positive for the kind of, for the um, climate crisis as well. Um, so. The, you know, there's, there's real room for us to be, well, for trusts and, you know, for these big organisations to be a bit more, be a bit more creative. Um, and I think that's really exciting that we're beginning to see things like that happening, of, you know, thinking beyond just like at the point where, where patients are arriving at the front door, but actually how can we have an influence as, you know, as we've talked about a few times as, as massive employers, um, as, as big institutions in their areas working, um, how those, how trusts can, can influence beyond just the patients coming through their door, but also yeah, promoting our staff to be healthier as well and all the, all the actions around that. I was um, facilitating, this is not a humble brag, but I was um, facilitating a, uh, it was one of the leadership conferences and um, they were like, oh, can you facilitate this uh, talk on healthcare and sustainability? And one of the, um, attendees of the conference asked at the end what's the biggest thing as an individual that we can do to um to impact climate climate change or to to improve sustainability in the UK when you're working for the NHS and I was really I mean maybe I shouldn't be shocked maybe it's super naive of me to be shocked but I was shocked by the answer which was that this guy said if everyone in the NHS um, when they were at work ate a plant-based diet that would have a huge impact on, um, you know, I suppose sustainability, but mostly I suppose in terms of like uh, food miles and things like that, if every single person, because every single person eats lunch or has some food uh, in the hospital every day. So obviously I was like, well, I'm already a vegetarian. So now I'll just make sure that I eat even more plant-based food at work. But it's really difficult. Most hospitals I've worked in, there is nothing like that. Newcastle uh we I feel like we're plugging Newcastle hospitals today um but they have a meat free Monday and I was like this is great because I can actually I can do that at work but most places I've worked it's like pie filled with uh, unknown meat um and probably potatoes and something else and you know and it, going back to that whole thing about staff well-being and also um choices about you know how you make choices about food and things like that that all all I suppose comes into it um if I'm going to ask that question back to each of you just to see if you have a different answer and you can't choose everyone has to eat meat-free diet because that already answer's already on the table. But if everyone in the NHS did one thing to improve 
sustainability or to reduce the impact on climate change from the NHS, what do you think it would be? Thinking faces again. <laughs> I feel like I'm turning into a real politician and I'm like avoiding all <laughs> really changing myself. Answer um, the question you want that's... to answer. And say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yes, if we all ate plant-based, that would obviously have an impact. But, you know, what we need is everybody's different viewpoints about what they can do. Mm. Um, and there's a nice way of dividing up that... that um, a colleague once told me about sort of thinking what can you do in your personal life what can you do in your professional life and what you can do in your political you know the mm. political sphere and, and having and you know your personal life is going to depend a lot on on your own like your own lifestyle and like somebody who eats a lot of meat it's going to have a massive impact if they switch to a plant-based diet mm. if you're already vegetarian probably not and um, so <laughs> uh so like looking up you know finding out your own personal carbon footprint and kind of having a think about where your big impacts could be and then your professional life like it's thinking about what you can have an influence on and then we've talked a few different things of like different projects people have involved in and different ideas um and everybody's going to have a really different viewpoint and a different ability to influence the system um from a kind of professional point of view um but all of those are valid and i think that we need all of the different ideas and mm. um the kind of personal professional political is a nice way of thinking about yeah where you can have an influence we talked on the last series a lot and I can't I can't remember which guest said it but somebody kind of talked about this idea of circle of concern and circle of influence so you have this huge circle of concern where you're like ah climate crisis ah, everything's awful and then you have your circle of influence which is like right what can I do about this and okay I I can't maybe you know I am not the boss of Shell so I am probably not going to be able to change anything that Shell does but you know here's what I can do xyz and I think you've you've given a really neat example there uh Lee what would your answer be I'm gonna circle back to the question because it yeah. feels like a long time ago <laughs> what would you do if you were an individual working in healthcare if we change all of our single use things to reusable um that would have quite a massive impact on um, the overall sort of carbon footprint and environmental impact um, mm. overall. But I don't know. I guess that I, I haven't I haven't got control of NHS procurement, so um, I can't. Yes. I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, but yeah, no. I think the sort of um, just to kind of um, sort of echo um, flows point about you know there's things that you can do on a personal level, things you can do on a professional level. Um, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when I was doing a lot of reading about sustainability and I found this um, statistic, which I think was given by um, Dr. Tom Pierce, who is the RCOA, so the Royal College of Anaesthetists uh, Environmental Advisor, um, which was that, you know, your average UK citizen, if you lived an extremely green lifestyle, so, you know, went vegan, never drove a car, never took any holidays abroad where you went on a plane, things like that, cycle everywhere, etc. Um, you could reduce your personal car carbon footprint by an average of seven kilos of CO2 per day. I mean, that's an average. So obviously it kind of depends again on just how big your carbon footprint was before. Uh, but as an anaesthetist, for example, if I change my anaesthetic practice um, and do everything in the greenest way possible, so, you know, not using any of the worst gases 
um, using, you know, as low energy as I can on things uh, and, you know, the various changes that the NHS is already kind of putting in, like, you, you know, having a higher proportion of reusable energy as a supply to the hospitals and things like that, then I could reduce you know, my kind of professional carbon footprint by over 300 kilos of CO2 a day. So it, so, so some, that was something that kind of struck me as very, um, it seemed much bigger than, than I thought. And I think part of it is that, you know, a bit like with plastics and waste, there's, there's things that you can see and it feels like they are like sort of make up a much bigger, um, proportion of the total impact and actually there's so many hidden things that you're kind of just not aware of until you start looking into it and then you know every layer you find more and more details that kind of starts getting sometimes more depressing and then that's why you need uh you need to have like a little network of people because when you're kind of having a bit of a low moment hopefully somebody else is having a high moment where there's a you know something successful has happened there's a good news story so they can kind of impart some of that energy to you so that you can kind of keep going and then uh, get out of that kind of dip. It's um, it's reassuring to me that both of you guys have mentioned hope and needing to have people to sort of gird you a little bit from from feeling those days where you're like, there is no point in this, I'm never <laughs> going to be able to change it. So I think that it's really important that you've both acknowledged that. Emily, what do you think individuals can do? My message had hope in it as well. So. Excellent. <laughs> That's a hard one about this. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I was I was thinking, I guess what I think is that if you are an individual who wants to make a change, I think it's got to be something that you feel personally connected with and passionate about so like you can be passionate about climate change or you can care about climate change but you need to find something that you that bugs you so I'd say find something that bugs you about your day-to-day that's probably going to be related to like find something about something related to the climate that bugs you so it's probably going to be something about waste or you know, I hate the way that we do this clinic because why do we bring all the patients in on a Tuesday to have their bloods and then bring them back on a Thursday? It seems really silly. Or why are we ordering this blood test for everyone when we could be just ordering it for the people who want? Why Why do I have to do all those bloods? You know, you might be a junior doctor thinking these bloods are pointless. Why am I doing them? So we're, we're almost at the end of this of this recording and I feel like there is so much that I want to circle background on. But I think that the, the main themes that have come out to me are about, first of all, sustainability is not just about waste management. Um, it's about hope uh, and it's about inspiring each other. Um, and it's about, okay, yes, you are a tiny cog in a big machine, But exactly, you're a tiny cog in this huge machine. So if you change one thing and you get other people to change that one thing, it's a big machine. So we can make a difference. Um, And I I mean, personally, I feel inspired by that because I'm often just like, feel like I'm just existing in my own little individual bubble. But actually, you know, all of this does make a difference across the board, right? I would like each of you to think about a a message that you want to end on to sort of give inspiration to people that might be thinking god I'm really busy and I I can't possibly be involved in sustainability because it's just one more string and a bow that I you know I, I don't have enough time for what what do what would you say to people listening to this um in terms of how they could 
um, could dig deep every day to kind of keep things looking to the future. I would say start talking. Don't like be silent about the things you're thinking about. I think there's loads of people in the NHS who care about sustainability, but and and if you can start having conversations about the things that you're worried about and things you care about, you'll be able to find people who agree with you and that will give you energy and it might make whatever you want to change feel a little bit easier because you might find that there are other people who want to change the same thing and you can do it together. But I would just say talk. Just don't don't worry about this stuff in silence and then you'll find that there are people who can you can work with. Lee, how about you? Um, that's a really good one. I was going to say something quite similar to that, um, which was, uh, yeah, talk talk to people. But I think the, the key thing is to not be sort of judgmental, um, either of, you know, people who might have different opinions about what, either what sustainability involves or even whether there's any kind of need for it. I feel like I got so much done by talking to people who initially were kind of what felt like they were on completely the opposite end of the spectrum to me um and just by talking and not judging and listening to what they were saying I think you'd be surprised to find just how much common ground there actually is and you just neither of you realize it until you've had that discussion um and also don't be judgmental of yourself if you know if you feel like this is a thing I want to change and it's you know either not happened or you didn't get the sort of the effect that you wanted to out of it no matter how small or big it is um to not kind of judge yourself too harshly because there's there's always going to be more things that we can't achieve than than what we can um and just because that one thing happens to fall into it doesn't mean that there isn't something else that you you know you're not going to be able to to succeed at and to kind of just know your own limits and kind of say that's fine that didn't work out you know take a breather go and have a nice cup of tea and a chat with somebody who's um you know hopefully having a nice day and and kind of um kind of you know move on from there and last but not least how about you florence first of all i feel like we we can't have gone through this whole thing and not mention the fact that the nhs has actually pledged to be net zero carbon yeah sorry i really (laughs) should have mentioned that at the beginning sorry i should know we should have it should have come up so you know if you're wherever you're working there will if you're working in the uk i should say um there will be a a green plan so if you know if you're really stuck in it try and find out where your green plan is and who's working on it and that's a way of of kind of finding out already what's happening where you are um and i think internationally there's more and more sustainability groups um i really liked what the what emily and lee have just said about you know all of those messages about being kind to yourself being kind to others um I think the other thing I'm going to steal what somebody else said on a, on a different podcast, um, this is from Tamsin Ellis, um, who was saying on a, uh, how much practicing sustainable healthcare has increased her enjoyment of her job. So sometimes we mm. can see this always as something that we're, you know, something extra or something we're taking away, but actually, like some often, this is this is something that, that you know really aligns well with all, uh, lots of other values of like how we want to be practicing healthcare um and can increase your engagement with work and you know and can can on those you know stressful days like feeling like you are making a difference and, and having the hope that you can um can can add to to um the enjoyment of being a doctor mm-hmm. 
I'm really glad we've ended on that note because I think it's a it's a real high. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode, um, and thank you for listening to Doctor, Doctor Informed. That's all we have time for today. We're really keen to hear from our listeners for ideas of future discussions and for reflections on the topics we've discussed today or in the past. Please get in touch. If you like our show, I'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or share with the people you know. Telling your friends about it really helps people find us. If you'd like to hear other episodes, subscribe to Doctor Informed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll be notified of when our next episode is up. Until then, goodbye from us. Thank you.